Hello, I'm Makram Hani, and I'm the founder and CEO of Arms of McGregor International Realty. Before we start, let me tell you more about me. Aside of running Arms of McGregor International, I founded BBP, which is a specialist media agency, as well as co-founded few other real estate brokerages, similar to Morgan's International and Clemson Porter. I believe in human potential. Most of our companies have been built around ethical, hardworking, individuals who are specialists in their fields. The best investment I have ever done is in a human being. And for those who are transparent and do appreciate the value of long-term investment, the best investment they can ever do is in one. Why are you seeing me on your screen today? I'm a published author with three books and more than 200 articles around the subjects of investments, real estate investments, sales, careers, and life coaching. I've been publishing articles for more than a decade, and now is the time to start shooting the same material in a video series, spreading the energy and the scientific approach. What impact do I wish to create? I've been investing and assisting other investors to buy and sell real estate successfully to achieve their investment targets. I have trained, empowered, and hopefully inspired young ladies and gentlemen to build careers create wealth, and achieve emotional and financial freedom. The episodes consist of regular life events and advice on real estate, investments, career, sales, and life. I hope you enjoy the episodes and we look forward for your comments, feedback, and questions. And today, make it a great day. This is a question that we get asked so often. Not only do we get asked that about the Dubai property market, I'm sure it's asked about every property market, about every investment in general. Let me answer it in a very simple way. You have a five years old son or daughter, go ask them. They know as much as we do what will happen to Dubai property market in the coming year or month or quarter. All those analysis that you do here, 63.5 days is left for the market to start going up, or 52.8 days for the market to crash. All of this is nonsense, exactly what you were thinking of at the time we were uh, talking about it. What will happen to Dubai property market doesn't really matter so much to any property investor or buyer buying property for the right reasons. Property is a shelter, and property at the same time has intrinsic value when it comes to the rentability and the kind of return you can achieve on it. You need to think about it that way. Am I buying property for the right reasons? Can I afford this property regardless of what takes place in the market? If so, most of the time, your property purchase is the right property purchase. Stop trying to guess start investing. Thank you. Have a good day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Ana Makram Hani, 
المؤسس والرئيس التنفيذي لشركة آرمز ماجريجر دولية العقارات. سأخبركم الخليل عني. بالإضافة لإدارة شركة آرمز ماجريجر، أنا المؤسس لشركة بي 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 وهي وكالة إعلامية متخصصة. كما أني شريك مؤسس في شركات عقارية عدة مثل كليمسون بورتر ومورجنز انترناشونال. أنا أؤمن بالقوة الإنسانية، لذا معظم مؤسساتنا بنيت حول أشخاص ذوي كفاءة عالية وأخلاق مهنية. بما أني أنشر المقالات منذ أكثر من عشر سنوات، قد حان الوقت لإيصال المادة نفسها عبر حلقات مصورة لنشر الطاقة الإيجابية والمقاربة العلمية. من منشورات ثلاث كتب وأكثر من 200 مقال تتناول مواضيع الاستثمار والاستثمارات العقارية والتدريب الحياتي والمبيعات. خلال أكثر من عقد من الزمن لقد استثمرت وقدمت استشارات للمستثمرين للقيام بأفضل عمليات البيع والشراء العقارية لتحقيق أهدافهم الاستثمارية تتضمن الحلقات نصائح عقارية استثمارية ومهنية أرجو أن تستمتعوا بها وأنتظر أسئلتكم واقتراحاتكم اجعلوا اليوم يوما عظيما إلى اللقاء Today we'll be talking ROEs and the impact of tools like leveraging on our investment. It's simple. If you buy a property for a million dollars and you rent it, let's say, for $80,000 a year, after costs, let's call it $70,000 a year, your return is 7%. If we introduce leveraging as get a mortgage onto that investment and get an MTV of 50% to 75%, will immediately multiply that probable return by two to three times. And that's exactly what you want to do. That is a great return when you talk about a property investment, which is categorized as low to medium risk. Thank you for joining us. Below this video will be plenty of details about the simulation we talked about and leveraging. I would look forward for your comments and feedback. Enjoy your day. Hello. Today we'll be talking mortgaging. And the question that we want to answer is, shall I take a 5, 10, 15, or 25 years mortgage? Many people tend to get the mortgage for the shortest term they can afford. In their opinion, they are saving on interest. However, the formula is we are buying an asset which is by nature appreciating in value and paying for it with cash which is by nature mostly depreciating in value and we're paying for it in the future. Thus. The longest term mortgage possible is the best one to take. Below this video will be an article that answers this question in more detail. Thank you for joining. I look forward for your comments and questions. Enjoy your day. خمسة عشرة خمستاش عشرين أو خمسة وعشرين سنة العالم بتخاف من الفوائد المرتفعة أو من تكاليف القرض السكني فعموما بتحاول تاخد قرض لأقصر مدة ممكنة بشرط تكون تقدر تعمل دفعة بسهولة فالأفوردابيلتي تبع الدفعة هي اللي عادة بتخليهم ياخذوا الخيار للقرض للمدة الأقصر وإنما هيدا مش الخيار الصح القرض السكني هو الاستعادة والاستعانة بأموال البنك لشراء عقار. العقار بطبيعته بيطلع بالقيمة وإنما الأموال بطبيعتها بتنزل قيمتها مع الوقت. فإذا أفضل حل 
ونشتري عقار واخذ قرض لاطول مده ممكنه اذا عم بدفع دفعه شهريه وهي 7000 درهم اليوم بعد 20 سنه يتوقع انه هيدي 7000 درهم نفسها تصير قيمتها الشرائيه اقل بكثير من ما قيمتها اليوم وهيدا الشيء بيمحي تاثير او بيقلل كثير تاثير الفائده على الاستثمار وبزد لي من القدره على الاستفاده من نسبه نسبه ربحيه عاليه شكرا لمتابعتكم بتمنى احصل على اسئلتكم are equivalent to ROEs plus ROTs. So the return on investment is impacted not only by the capital invested, the equity in our property or asset, but also the time invested. Time is so valuable. It matters how much time do you spend on an asset over a year running it or managing the relationship with the people who are running it. Makes a big difference if for the same million dollars you own one asset or five assets. Below this video will be an article that details that. We hope you enjoy it and I look forward for your comments and questions. Enjoy your day. الاستثمار تؤثر او تتاثر بشغلتين كثير مهمين، العائد على المال المستثمر والعائد على الوقت. نحن دائما بنحسب العائد على المال المستثمر بس قله منا بيحسبوا العائد على الوقت. العائد على الوقت هو شيء كثير مهم. وقتنا كثير ثمين. اذا انت عندك بمليون دولار خمس عقارات او بمليون دولار عقار واحد. الوقت اللي بتصرفه على الخمس عقارات اكثر بكثير من الوقت اللي بتصرفه على العقار الواحد. سو so, كثير مهم اليوم بس تيجي تحسب العائد الاستثماري تحسب غير انه والله هيدا عم يعطيني 9% كخمس عقارات والعقار الواحد عم يعطيني 7 او 8% بدك تحسب الوقت المستثمر باداره العقارات او اداره العلاقه مع اللي عم بيديروا العقارات وبهيدا بهيدي الطريقه بتقدر تحدد اي افضل اي العائد الافضل اكيد بدك تحسب قيمه وقتك اللي حضرتك عم تصرفه على العقار ان شاء الله بتستمتعوا بالفيديوهات القادمه ان شاء الله يكون هذا الفيديو فادكم وبنتظر اقتراحاتكم واسئلتكم ensure our property. Many people fail to remember that and to take care of that, specifically in Dubai. When you own a property, it's a great um, piece of asset that gives you pride, pleasure, and hopefully income, surely income. What you should, however, remember is that that property can become a liability if you don't take care specifically of third-party liabilities, as well as ensuring your capital uh, invested is safe. Insuring property isn't a high cost add to the annual costs that you have on your property. However, it's very essential. Third party liabilities can range 
between fire that could have started in your property to um, damaging neighbors' furniture or items or collection um, DVDs or whatever it could be um, that they have in their property out of a leak that started in yours. This is very essential for you to take care of, as well as ensuring the belongings of yours in the property and the belongings probably of your tenants as well. Ensure your property, stay safe. Investments do not have to be a rough road. Get slightly less return by spending slightly more, but it will be much safer and a much better investment. Enjoy your day. property there's many elements you need to consider we'll discuss some of them today first you need to consider the history and the track record of the developer remember we're talking about off-plan property mostly as in ready property you can see it touch it and feel it by the way we utilized Averill's assistance to write down what should have been written uh, if I wrote it nobody would have been able to read it Developers finance. So with history of the developer before developers finance, it's important to look at the track record. What has the developer built, quality and deliverability and when have he delivered. Developers finance, exactly something that people look at in many markets, don't look at in our market is, is there secured financing on the development or not? Contract, until your property is delivered, mostly what you own is a contractual agreement. Yes. There's many specifics that protect you as an investor in Dubai, similar to escrow accounts and pre-registrations with, with the land department, with the DSR system. However, a contract is mostly what you own. Make sure it says exactly what it needs to say and what you expect it does say. Property specifics. When you're buying a property, you're not only buying a unit. You're buying proximity. It should be connected easily. Traffic planning is very important. If you have a property with good proximity, bad traffic planning, you will have a hard time going in and out of your community, specifically in peak times, and the community that you're in. Your kids and family needs to enjoy in a community, and that's very important. Layout and specifics of the unit is something that we will discuss later, because some of those points are more important than others. How are we going to pay for it? Remember something before reaching that, a property that is off plan is regularly a three to five years play. So you need at all times to consider the difference or the gap between the price of that and the price of ready properties in the same area. That's something you need to consider and many people don't. Although there may be payment plans and the present value of the money they're paying in the future, as well as their non-eligibility to get a mortgage or non-will to get a mortgage pushes them towards an off plan property. However, it should make sense scientifically. How are you going to pay for it? A property is and it should be a source of joy, peace for you and your family. If you can't secure payment for it, or you can't pay with ease for it, it may become a disaster. Make sure your property investment is the right amount that you can afford and is exactly what you want rather than much bigger or much smaller. Enjoy your day and I look forward for your comments and questions.
Sweden, while living in that property, they consider it, you know what, it's a free living experience. I have no rent to pay. You're mistaken. When you buy a property, even if it's not for investment, that's an investment you've done. The best way to budget forward to generate more wealth is to pay yourself rent. When you start paying yourself rent, imagine you have a property that's worth a million dollars. You pay yourself a rent of $100,000 a year. This is exactly what you would have paid as a rent if you were not owning that property, if you were renting it. And then you pay that rent for the coming 10 years. Cumulative, that property already itself in its own segregated bank account owns a million dollars also. And that million dollars can be reinvested. We don't need to wait for a 10 year period. We can wait for a year, two years, three years, put this money together, go buy another property, and a third, and a fourth, and a fifth. Allow your property to blossom, to generate more money and more wealth. Think of it as a business. We most of the times put more money into our properties than we put in our business. Most of us have a business that we've invested in two, three million dirhams while we own a property which is 10, 11 million dirhams. When you have such a property in hand, you need to think of it as a business. Allow it to generate as a business, create a reserve fund for it, a segregated bank account for it. You'll tell me what if I'm paying a mortgage payment? I'll tell you, great. If you're paying a mortgage payment, that's equity added plus interest, which is the cost of mortgage. Still, pay the rent and then pay the mortgage payments from the rent. Allow your property to stand as a money-making and a profit-making entity rather than just a property. And this way, you'll be more satisfied with it. If you're an investor and you have bought that property for investment, don't use that property as a grocery. Enter end of the month, empty that drawer. You know, our grandfathers used to do that probably, some of them. Empty the drawer, put the money in your pocket and go out have fun, use it to live. Not really. Continue living as if you don't have the income of that property. Allow that income to accumulate in a bank. And then after a few years, that property can buy another property. Imagine two properties now generating wealth, generating profits, generating money. Roll it another two years, they can buy another property. And by the way, now they can buy properties at a faster pace. And then there are three properties, and three properties can buy probably another property every year, year and a half, maybe two years at most. And then that wealth generation experience will continue growing and continue going that way. And this will allow you in a period of 10 years to generate enough wealth and be called the king of passive income. If this is where you want to go in your investments, start thinking property the right way. Enjoy your day. Benjamin Graham said, an intelligent investor is a realist who buys property or who sells to an optimist and buys from a pessimist. If you don't know Benjamin Graham, Benjamin Graham is the father of value investing. If you know Warren Buffett, and I'm sure everyone in the world knows about Warren Buffett, Benjamin Graham is, can call him the teacher, mentor, as per Warren Buffett, to Warren Buffett. 
buying a property and investing is a potential wealth making act if done the right way the best way to buy a property is slightly below that property's value at the time you're buying timing the market is impossible for any one of us if anyone was able to time the market no big banks no big organizations would have been stuck in 2008 in the crisis there could have been no 1927 Great Depression and many other events that prove that no one knows and can time the market but what we know or most of us could know and understand realistically and logically is the peak and the bottom are never things that can be discovered and the peak and the bottom are the perfect wrong moment and the perfect right moment which we will never be able to discover thus we are doomed, if I can say, or not doomed, we should settle to buying property and investments in general, regardless of it is equities, commodities, uh, or property, buying within the period that runs between a peak and a bottom. And that period, without doing the ultimate mistake, which is prior to the peak, or selling prior to the bottom. So in other words, getting greedy when everyone is getting greedy and getting simply uh, panicking when everyone is getting fearful. And when this happens, I have a graph, I'll draw it to you in a further video. It runs this way and it says greed, buy, fear, sell, repeat until broke. This is exactly what many people do. If you don't want to end up in such a situation, then logically buy property at a time where it's logical to buy property and there's too many aspects that tell us that whenever we're buying property, and we'll talk about many of them in coming episodes. Buy property at a logical time. Don't be sucked in by greed. Don't be kicked out by fear. And when you buy, buy from a pessimist so buy a property which somebody believes will drop in value and hopefully you get that that edge in price and then sell to an optimist most probably an end user or an investor who believes that now is the right, right time for it to start growing in value if you do that be it a bust or a boom within a period of time you are safe so buy from a pessimist sell to an optimist Change your life. Hello, let's talk investments, wealth, sustaining, and creation. While we approach investments, we need to remember one thing that is very important. It's a rule of thumb. Don't invest in what you don't understand. Only invest in what you have reasonable amount of control and access to. In other words, losing money in an investment that you do understand is most of the time safer than making money in an investment that you don't. Because in an investment that you don't, if you do make money once and twice and twice, you create something that is called survivorship bias which is similar to what gamblers have. 
if they start their careers, if we can call it a career, by gambling, they do regularly tend to make money first time, make money second time, and then start losing, and then on to a losing streak that will be very dangerous. If they start their life by gambling and losing, they regularly stop it. So let's invest and avoid gambling. Now to sustain wealth, you need on in average days where there is no hyperinflation, you need between two and four percent return. If your average return on a portfolio is two to four percent in regular days, you're sustaining wealth. You're not growing wealth, but that money is not losing buying power. Now, to start by growing wealth, we should achieve eight, 10, 15, 20% and higher. With high return comes more risk. Now, to avoid going into more risk without the right amount of return, we need to assess every investment, the risks and the returns, the possibilities in it before we start. Let's always consider that there is 10% of our money in a safe haven, call it in cash, and you can call it a security fund. A fund so that if things go rough, because it always may, you can tap into, but you don't tap into for any other reason. And then you have around 10 to 20%, depending on your, uh, on your, your life uh, preferences and your age and, and how would you treat opportunities in life as money sit on the side, sitting on the side for opportunity capturing. So you get a new opportunity, it's interesting enough for you, you go for it, and that's exactly why you have that money on the side. That's around 30% of your portfolio. Hold there is 5% to 10% of your portfolio in non-efficiencies. It's between transactions, it's in and out. That's 40% of your portfolio. The average amount of income that the rest of your portfolio should generate just to sustain wealth is around 8%. Now, if you make 8% of the rest of your portfolio, we assume that this part of the portfolio is not performing, although regularly money aside for opportunities make the most of what you earn um, in, in a good market if you're in the right industry, if you're investing in the right assets and asset classes, and if you know how to do your picks, then you need to generate in the rest 8% to get an average performance of 4 to 5% in the rest of portfolio, the portfolio which is wealth sustaining. Now to start growing wealth, you should earn more. One of the assets that do earn you more and rarely, if any time, give you a negative, uh, a negative return. Imagine you own equities in a company, company book value goes negative and then you need to pay or you have that as debt on every share you own. This doesn't regularly happen when you own a house or a home or a complex or a commercial building. So when we come to real estate, which is a major part of everyone's portfolio, we never say it should be the only part. There should be other parts of somebody else's portfolio. However, when, when it comes to me, knowing that that's the most I do understand, I prefer to have most of my money in real estate. When it comes to investing in real estate, and generating seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe higher ROEs sometimes. We have sometimes an element of leveraging, which we talked about before, and we will always talk about in the future. It's very important to understand. Invest where you understand, not only if you understand real estate, then you understand all real estate, not really. You have a niche, you have a specific part that you do really understand. Invest in that.
Some people understand an area, a city, a location, a street. Invest there and make the best out of it. Stay diversified, never put all your eggs in one basket. That's another rule of thumb. Make the difference to your wealth and to your life. Make it a great day. Producing asset. Let me tell you what I would do. I would look at the asset's current value and the asset's current return. And if the asset's current return is decent, where if I did liquidate, I wouldn't be able to do better in another asset, I would hold. If the asset's current return is low, thus if I do liquidate and purchase another asset, I would do better. I would sell. Many of us do not take a scientific approach. They aren't disciplined in their decisions, they're emotional. What they would say is, you know what, I've bought the asset at a million, today it's 700,000 dirhams worth, and thus I'm losing money if I sell it today. Let me hold it until it becomes a million again. It may not become a million again in the short term. You may have a better opportunity selling and owning another asset which pays you a higher rate of return. Similarly, if an asset have grown in value, you need to do the assessment based on the current numbers. Under this video will be a full write-up about this in detail, simulating few situations or possibilities. I would look forward for your comments and your feedback. This series will be all about the scientific approach and will be advised on what should you do in specific situations while holding a real estate asset. Enjoy your day. Let's make a difference and generate wealth. in an upwards trend market or a downwards trend market actually the question that comes to people is a question with how can I buy safely in a downwards trend market people are afraid to buy when the market is going down obviously because as they say don't haul a falling knife by the middle because in general when you try to you'll hold it and you'll cut yourself however when we look at markets and when we look at any kind of asset Let's evaluate where is it safer and when is it safer to buy properties. Let's agree on a few things before we start. What are things that we can never know and no one does know? The peak and the bottom. Now, take into consideration that this graph is not exactly like this graph. This graph is something like this. This is how the market moves. The market will never move in a straight line upwards or a straight line downwards except for a very short period of time now the things we all know is we will never be able to discover the peak or the bottom this is the perfectly wrong moment to buy the perfectly right moment to sell and the bottom is the perfectly right moment to buy and the perfectly wrong moment to sell however what ends up happening is people buy in general while it's going up. So what happens here is they have greed. And then with time, 
When the property market starts going down, they get fear. And then with greed and fear, they buy with greed, they sell with fear. And as we said before, they repeat this until broke. So when they repeat this several times, the capital requirements and the capital they have goes down in value until there's no more capital. Now, when the market is going up, knowing or taking into consideration, nobody knows this point. No one knows in this upwards momentum, are we here, here, or here? Now, relatively speaking, People in general, when the market starts going up, is a time they would love to buy. So if we talk about the rest of the graph, the market goes down and then starts going up. And everyone here will be waiting for this point to buy. However, this point is only confirmed and can only be confirmed when the market pulls up. And pulls up consistently for a period of time. Because any of the market pulls up, pull-ups here, could be... Uh, just a temporary pull-up, upgrade in prices, and then go down again. So what you need to watch is a market that have grown consistently for around two quarters, and then you would say the market is an upward trend, and now I can purchase safely. What happens in that situation is that you've lost part of the possibility of profit, and Nobody knows how far will the market go. So the market will go up by 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, or 50, or 200%. No one can really figure out how much will the market grow from that point of time. However, let's look at purchasing in a downward trend. Now, when the market have dropped, nobody knows where will the market go. And I'm sure people will respond to this video and say, you know what? There is places where the market have dropped to 30 to 50% of the replacement value of a property. In other words, it used to be at a peak and it dropped by around 80%. Yes, this is possible. The answer immediately is, I'm buying property and the right reasons to buy properties in interval of time, which is 10 to 20 years. On 10 to 20 years, have there been any of those situations where the market have dropped for the prices to become 30 to 50% of the replacement cost? And replacement cost is the cost of that property to be rebuilt, to be replaced. Have it ever dropped and stayed there for between 10 and 20 years? And the answer is no. So, if you wait, for the market to drop, or if you are in a position which we are similar and similar to today, the market have dropped by 30 to 55 percent, depending on the area and the kind of property in our market in Dubai. And you say, will the market drop further or not? Nobody knows. Maybe it will. It may drop further by five, ten. Some people say 15. Some people say 20. Some people say another 30 percent. That's personal opinion. As we discussed before, nobody can really know how far will the market go. However, because this is not discoverable, if I buy today, where most of the times I'm buying at below replacement cost, if I buy today a property on Palm Jumeirah with a square foot price of 900 dirhams, I can guarantee you that you can't rebuild this property for 900 dirhams. And 
reclaim the land, yeah, it's reclaimed land. So, to buy that property at 20 to 30% below replacement value today is safe enough and is a safe bet, medium term and long term. So the answer to this, and it's clearly clarified in the write-up below this video, shall I buy property or is it safer to buy property in an upward trend or in a downward trend? The answer is it's safer to buy property while the market is going down, down after a significant drop. So after the market drops this far, the price has become too good. And then you can safely purchase property. Can it drop more? Yes, it can. Will it drop more? Probably it may. Is that a disaster? Not really. But if I buy before a peak and it drops by 60-70%, although that's not the end of the world, it's a painful disaster most of the time. It's a crash. Enjoy your day. Make the best out of your property investments without emotion or with as little emotion as possible. Dictate and utilize the scientific approach. Think about your investments and your capital in a disciplined manner. It took you so much work to get to that capital. Do not throw it away just because greed or fear have attacked you today. Again, enjoy your day. Hello. Today on Property Talk, we'll ask a few questions that came through Instagram and through other channels. The uh, questions came from Elias, uh, Christine, uh, and several other uh, members of our team and uh, followers and other real estate agents and peers in the industry. Um, the, the, um, the answer will be a general talk, so let's start discussing it and while we are running through them, we'll go through every point at a time rather than answering each in a separate section. Let's hope that it's engaging enough and interesting enough for all of you uh, listening to this uh, long talk. Um, the, the, um, the first question is how to become a great real estate agent, which Elias have asked. And, and being a great real estate agent is about uh, doing two things well. Uh, understanding the science of real estate um, and um, selling, being a great salesman. Let's start with the science of real estate. Remember that real estate is a 36 million years old business. If you want to study medicine, which is a 9,000 years old business, you study for around nine years, you become a doctor, you go into stage, and then you become a practitioner, you become a consultant, and then you grow that way. You want to become a real estate agent with 36 million years old science, you can't do it overnight. You need to understand the science of real estate. And it's very important, and this is something that we don't do, or many people don't do, studying every day every night many people run by the basics the most they know is an area a property price in an area comparison to similar areas other few areas around and comparatives this is not real estate this is you being a salesman knowing some details of your product and that's it real estate is beyond that guys I'll encourage anyone who loves to learn more to start by 
a study that uh, has been done by Real Estate Institute of Singapore, or Real Estate University in Singapore. And it's called, I believe, Dollar XE, if I'm not mistaken. I read it a few years ago. And it's a great because, and I'm sure there's many other resources that would show you or give you such details as well. The, the importance of it is it runs you through all categories of real estate. So it makes you understand the lifespan, how does the graph of a real estate investment go, if you're talking about industrial real estate, if you're talking about uh, warehousing, if you're talking about commercial real estate, uh, what category of commercial? Uh, is the grade A commercial, how does that uh, react? Um, the kind of city, the cycle in the city, and, and why do cycles move faster, slower, um, other sites that are important to understand is what and how do real estate or is real estate valued whenever you talk about a property uh, because many people do value it by the current prospects but it's not let's talk about current and future prospects there is return and there's future prospects that differ between an area and another I'll give you a very simple example if you're in a regular building uh, not a unique one, not an iconic one, in a, uh, some suburb. And that building can never become one day a trophy asset. However, if you were in Champs-Élysées in, in, in France, um, the building, the older it becomes, the more valuable it becomes. And those few details are some things that people should understand, specifically if they want to work in real estate. Um, if they want to invest or buy real estate, or if they're just real estate enthusiasts, they should know that. However, if they want to work in real estate, they should have extensive knowledge and experience on that. Understanding the real estate behavior, understanding your assets behavior is very important. And I always say there is one indication that everyone should go by. If you have a million dollars today, would you be able, as a real estate agent, to invest it on your own confidently? Or would you need, in mean, real estate definitely, or would you need ask others on how to do it if you're not confident using your own money then you're not the right person to give advice to any that is very important and unfortunately many of us ignore the second side of being a great real estate agent is being a good salesman and being a good salesman is not only about talking actually it's not about talking people think he's a great salesman he talks so much he talks so good Unfortunately, or fortunately, this is not sales. Yes, you should be able to talk. However, selling is not about talking. Selling is about listening. Selling is about understanding a person's needs, catering to it. The only kind of sales worth doing is the selling that ends you up in a relationship which runs for life. And then that's cumulative success that you can build a day after another because every single person who bought from you will become your ambassador will go talk to you and talk about you all day long and about the great things you've done it doesn't matter if you made money or lost money it's not it doesn't matter but the, the as long as he bought the right thing for the right reason this is how he will appreciate you so Keep that in mind whenever you're talking sales. The second part of selling, yes, it's listing. However, it's also doing something else very well. It's understanding the uh, person's needs beyond his ability 
to categorize his needs. Many people are seduced to buy bigger homes. Is it the right thing to sell him a bigger home? I'm not sure it is. I'm not sure it is unless you want to end up with a broke buyer. Somebody who bought from you. He believed in you, he believed in your advice, and he bought a property and he can't pay for it. When you have such a situation, trust me, it's annoying. It's so annoying, it's devastating for you, if you really care. And the only kind of salesman who can really persevere, grow, and develop is a salesman who does really care. So, being a great salesman and being a great real estate scientist make a real great real estate agent. I hope I answered your question, Elias. I'm sure uh, Elias is a member of our uh, group, a member of our team. Elias is the perfect example, as we, uh, as I always say, of, of the great investment that anyone can do in, in a human being, because Elias started with us in Arms and McGregor as a um, real estate broker, as a junior broker, actually, developed very fast, learned very fast, studied very fast, uh, earned trust and earned credibility, and uh, grew Today, Elias is my partner in Morgan's, and he's the managing director of Morgan's as well, and is one of the best real estate brokers that you can ever meet. Uh, hope I answered that question well. The, the uh, other questions that came through are questions simply about how do I invest in real estate, or how do I do my first investment in real estate? And real estate is a big purchase regularly. So guys, we understand, yes, not everyone has the money it takes to invest in real estate. It takes you some time to develop that, even if it's a down payment, even if you're taking a mortgage, it takes some time to develop that, that capital, that initial capital. However, if you start early, work hard enough, you will be able to develop it before you're 25. And if you do so, your life is different. The life you live will be different. Again, don't go by greed. Our industry is an industry that does have too much opportunities. Real estate as an asset or property as assets is a great producer in general. However, the wrong choice, the wrong property choice or choosing the wrong property for the wrong reason may end up being either not satisfactory or even devastating. So I always say, you can go cheap on many things in life, but there are a few things that you can't go cheap on. The first is a doctor. When you go to, you have a surgery to do and you wanna have someone work on your kidneys and you wanna go to a cheap doctor, you wouldn't do that. You would go and choose the best you can afford and sometimes the best you can't afford even. Whenever it comes to investments, you need to do the same. And whenever it comes to a lawyer, you never need a cheap lawyer because you will end up in a place that will cost you much more and sometimes much more than money. And you never need a cheap real estate in investment consultant or an investment consultant in general. You would need someone who knows exactly what he's talking about. Paying less for something doesn't always equate to a better deal. Paying less for services most of the time equates to less quality service. There's kinds of services that you can afford that on. There's others that you can't. There's another question that came from a, uh, a friend and uh, somebody who has been an investor with us since a very long time. And the question was, I've been investing in real estate 
I've been making uh, money in real estate and sometimes losing money. However, there is, um, there is some real estate investments that I've done where it didn't turn out to be exactly what I expected it to be while buying specifically off plan. So what I would tell people is the following, and by the way, he'd done most of those before we got introduced to him. So be cautious. Running towers and off-plan property is um, sometimes easy. And we have a kind of um, self-ignorance. We, 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 we practice ignorance among ourselves. And what we do is we ignore realities and we just go with the easy practice or the easy cut. We see a great brochure. When did you go to site when you were buying an off-plan property? When did you jump on the sand, walk the site, walk the surrounding sites? Understand if it's a tower, what is the tower all about? Look at the mood boards and what's the kind of material there. Have you looked at the uh, background of the developer? Have you looked at all of those items? If you have, in general, you do a right choice. Now, the market can still move in a way that you don't expect. That's always possible. When the market does that, if you have done the right choice from a scientific background, you will always still be okay. It wouldn't end up in a disaster. The problem, so you still have risk. You're investing, yeah? Remember that. You're investing your money, you have a risk. However, if you don't consider that, if you don't put all the points on a paper and you do follow that tick list, which is quality of the developer, quality of the development, quality of the area, and quality of things that you can change specifically, the layout. If you buy a property with lower quality finishes, you can most of the time work on the finishes and change them. If you do buy a property with a wrong quality layout, how would you change a layout? That's a tough job. So, it's very important that you purchase a property you can afford, you can pay for, you know exactly how are you gonna be paying for. Do not depend on future incomes to pay for a property without enough security. If you're taking a mortgage, you need three to six months of payments sitting aside. If you're paying the property through a direct payment plan with a developer, you will need three to six months of payments on the side as security, as a reserve fund, if things change in your life to the worst, which can happen, uh, you will be able to secure yourself until you figure your stuff out. If things in your work, in your family, or things around your business, if you're a business owner, change, you will be able to manage that in a better way. Now, it's very important that you also consider what are you buying the property for? If you're buying a property for rental, what kind of property would you buy? We discussed previously things like, in a, uh, I believe a session called ROE, um, we discussed in another one, uh, ROI, which is equals uh, ROE plus ROT, return on time. You need to understand what kind of time would that property take from me to manage the relationship with the people managing it or to manage the property itself. In general, you need to be cautious of buying property that you don't have access to, physical access to, or buying property that you can't um, 
simply manage and you in a in a place where our jurisdiction where there's no enough there's no enough flows to um, protect you if somebody is managing it you always need to look at the rental laws as well to see if they protect you as an investor and if they give you the uh, flexibility to be able with time uh, and at a reasonable rate definitely to um, have increases in rent uh, because there is some jurisdiction that restrict that totally specifically on residential property and that's why in many parts of the world residential property is not an investment category or is not an investment property people rent towers commercial or other sectors of real estate while in places like London in Dubai Residential is a great investment and most of the time it's as lucrative or more lucrative than, than commercial and considered safer sometimes. Another question that we've been asked is, um, I'm buying property, I've bought and sold property and I made money on property. However, I'm always annoyed from the kind of fees that I do pay when I'm paying property, when I'm buying property. Is there a way to avoid those? And when I asked uh, the question, what kind of fees do you want to avoid? They said starting by the agency fees that I pay. Uh, again, um, I do pay every time two to three percent agency fees, which is in the uh, uh, gentleman askings, in his opinion, it's high. You pay what you get. You pay for what you get. Um, or in general, if you're buying a property, the fee that you're paying is not purely for the uh, sourcing of that property on that day. There's so much work that has been done prior to sourcing that property. Remember guys, do it the right way. And I believe you should pay more than 2-3% in other fees that uh, you should start considering because the safety of your capital is more important than the probability of slightly more profit. Have you an, appointed a surveyor whenever you bought a property? Have you appointed a conveyancer whenever you, appoint, you bought a property? Those should be third parties, guys. A broker is a broker. A broker is meant to mediate and arrange, source the property, negotiate it, and arrange the transaction. A broker is not a conveyancer. A broker is not a lawyer. Currently, what you do is you go to a broker, you try to get the broker to do the agreement, which he does. In some countries and cities like Dubai, we have uh, uniform agreements. Still, you have addendums attached to them. It's very important to go through a conveyancer or a lawyer or both if you wish, but I believe that's extensive, extensive and expensive. You go to a surveyor. Um, you can go through uh, another another uh, uh, party which regularly is an engineered uh, inspector to inspect your property. Those are important people within the purchase environment, within the transaction. Those parties, if not present, you're subject to risks. And the more parties not present, the more risk you would have. If you rely on your broker to do all of that, you're trying to rely on your nurse or doctor or pharmacist to do everything in a surgery. So you don't have an aesthetic doctor, you don't have a, a support nurse, you don't have anything like that. You just want that guy to do everything. I'm sure 
that wouldn't be the best for your health. That wouldn't be the best for your money's health and probably your health as well in real estate. So pay the fee that is required. When you do negotiate a fee, remember the following. If you're negotiating a property and you want somebody to negotiate it for you and that party is the man in between, the broker, and you've agreed a fee with him, do not try to negotiate that fee because if you want him to fight for you, you want him to be properly paid. When I'm buying, and by the way, I, I have brokerages, I have four brokerages, but I still purchase sometimes from other brokers. I purchase sometimes opportunities that I do see in the market and I don't want to, uh, uh, don't want to lose. Regardless of whom am I purchasing from, I always tell the agent, the broker, I will fix your fee at the asking price. So if I'm paying 2%, I'm paying 2% of the asking price. So if you negotiate lower, your fee will not go lower. And that's exactly what I would advise you to do. Now it's your choice. But in my opinion, if you do that, you're giving the person who's supposed to be fighting for you all the motive to fight for you and to fight more for you. If you're a seller, do the same. If you're a seller and you start by telling a, an agent, yeah, no problem, I wanna sell my property, but I don't wanna pay a fee. Remember, you're sending somebody to fight for you. However, you're asking him to take weapons from the other party. So, go fight for me, but utilize all the tools you need from the other party because I'm not interested to give you any of the tools. I don't believe that's the smartest of decisions from either party. Remember, there's a practice that is so widely done, and this answers probably the third question or the fourth question, which is, I had so much uh, non-ethical uh, behavior, or I've seen so much unethical behavior from brokers. Let me tell you something. As an investor and as a buyer and as a seller sometimes, I'll tell you that following. A broker or an agent and his behavior, although sometimes may derive from his upbringing and from his ethic, in general, derives from your actions with him. So, if you, as a buyer or a seller, or both parties, approach a broker and have the belief or the want or the hope that you can throw him away from getting his commission or his pay, remember that guys, or if you have practices that may indicate that to him, remember that guy, although against the code of ethic, but we are human beings who are logical and have common sense and do understand that that man needs to eat at the end of the day. If I don't allow him to eat in an ethical, straightforward, simple, transparent manner, he will try to do so in a non-ethical, non-transparent, non-simple manner. Or if his ethic standards are so high, will not deal with you and will stop the relationship over there. So when you're approaching a broker, Make sure, and I advise everyone, regardless if it's with our agencies or anyone else, go exclusive, sir. Go exclusive, B 
be transparent even if you don't want to go exclusive. Be transparent. Do not try to have practices similar to undercutting people's commissions, undercutting people's fees, undercutting people's pays. Whenever you do that, do not blame the broker for the actions he may have. Again, it's not acceptable that brokers or any other professional has malpractices. However, it's logical that many will have when we act or when we deal with them in a non-honest, non-transparent, non-proper manner. Now, when an agent is approached and you're a buyer or a seller, the first thing you need to agree with the agent is his fee. There's practice that is non-ethical and against the law, which is people charging both sides because there's a clear conflict of interest. Now, the law specifies that if you want to charge both sides, you need to have written agreements from both sides that say the following. Both sides are aware that you are charging both sides and one side is aware that you're charging the other side and him, but you don't represent him, you represent the other party's interest, while the other party signs up that he understands that you represent his interest although you're charging the other side and you're charging him as well. Although that's the, how should, things should be practiced, it's not how it is practiced. It's not how it is practiced partially because we support this practice of brokers and agents as buyers and sellers through our practices by negotiating every penny of a commission that somebody is buying because I've heard it so many times said to agents in front of me from people I was buying from, you're making so much money on this transaction, why and how? And I always answer the following way. He's making so much money because he have worked so hard to put that transaction together. And so hard is not the summary only of the listing process, which is 15, 20, 30 minutes, the marketing process and the viewing process, which sometimes is very extensive. And the transactional side, not really. That man most probably have tried to build a relationship for years with many people to get that listing. And if he's a good agent, have developed relationships and got referrals to reach me. And all of that have cost him so much of his life and energy. And that's something he needs to get paid for. And he only gets paid mostly on success. Now, yes, we have, for example, many customers on a retainer which is not a commission, they're on retainer, it's a success fee, it's a non-success fee, sorry. They pay it regardless if uh, the, the result comes or not. When we have a customer on retainer, when anyone, although it's a, a rare practice in the market to have customers on retainer, whenever you have a customer on retainer, yes, it does make sense and people understand that this man, the agent, the broker, is making money regardless if he transact or he doesn't transact. But in general, agents do not get paid if they don't transact. They only get paid if they do, if they achieve success. So pay them their fee and do not ask them, how are they spending it? Do not look at their pocket, look at yours. And that's a practice that leads us to the third question. I have bought a property and I'll not specify the area, although the lady has mentioned the area and I hope that she hears this. I'm sure she would. Um, I've bought a property 
in an area and that property at both at both a 35% below original purchase price so below the price the other party have bought voted for however now I need to sell it I can't continue holding it and I find out that I will also lose if I sell it and I asked why did you buy it at that time why did you buy that property she said for investment and I said why did you buy that exact property for investment she said, because the other party is losing 35% of his money. So what made that a great deal to her, to you, is that the other party is losing 35% of his money. Him losing money does not make you money. Him losing money does not indicate that you will be making money off that transaction. He may lose money, you're still not making money. For you to be making money, you need to be doing the right purchase. So. Stop looking at the other party's pocket, be it an agent or a customer or anyone else. Look at yours. When you're buying a product, an item, it could be a pajamas, it could be a shoe, it could be a watch, it could be a service. Do not look at, oh gosh, I was able to get a great deal from this guy, so I buy it. Always understand, do I really need it? If I need it, if I want it, I would buy it. If it's cheap, but I don't need it, why would I buy it? If it's cheap, but I don't want it, why would I buy it? Just because I was able to secure a great deal, it's somebody else's great deal, not mine. And I hope I answered your question. Next time you purchase, contact us. This time you've contacted us after purchase. And by the way, this is something agents are guilty of. We're guilty of. That lady is a friend of mine, and a friend of mine since a very long period of time. When she found that uh, deal, um, she transacted on it and then she called me to ask how, what do you think is that a good deal that I've done my lady you should have called us before yes we make money of the question you ask and yes this is our business however we make it for a reason if we can't give value we don't want to take value thus if we can't give value we never charge anyone a fee we only charge a fee if we see that we can give value because we don't want a relationship where the other party feels that he's not getting what he paid for or he's not getting value for what he paid for. And the final question is uh, from someone who said, I have money today. It took me a long time to collect that money to make that capital. And now is the right time for me from a financial perspective to purchase a property. However, I'm scared. I'm scared and I believe that purchasing property at this time is not the right choice for me. Look, buying a home should be something comfortable. It should be something that gives you peace. If you're not comfortable about it, do not do it. However, let's try to make you comfortable about it. Buying a property, as they say, when the blood is on the streets, in other words, when the market is not doing well, is in general a right choice or in general a right timing uh, a right choice or not depends on the exact property on your exact position as I understood from your message you do have currently around two million dirhams again if it gives you peace of mind to have that money on the side have it on the side start researching and studying until investing it gives you peace of mind or keeps your peace of mind because nothing is worth losing your peace of mind and look to stay for a period of time in cash is sometimes worth much. Uh, you don't always need to be invested or fully invested. 
it's your first investment, be cautious, do the right investment, uh, don't be sold the heat of the moment. Uh, however, it's wise not to keep that money in cash. So start by researching. Feel free to contact us. You can run, as I message, uh, messaged you uh, yesterday, you can run through my uh, email and uh, or send me a message to my website and I will give you more advice on it. You can visit us in our office. We'll have uh, a sit like that and, and we will talk about your specific investment. However, regardless of that, start researching, educating yourself about investments, about the market, about the uh, the, the properties available, the uh, regions, uh, the areas, so that you can understand uh, and make that investment with peace of mind. Until then, do not invest. Keep your money in cash, sit and have it there. Um, remember, it will create pain if you keep it in cash for long, so start studying your options. Investing does not have to be a rough road. Investing shouldn't be a rough road. You make money so that you add to your happiness or so that you add tools that can allow you and support your family and yourself to make you happy. However, if you use it wrongly, it will make you miserable. Do not allow your investments and the wealth you've generated to make you miserable. For now, keep the money there until you've developed enough knowledge to do the right investments the right way or sit with people who can help you do that be it us or anyone else in the market. There's many great corporations today that do respect their reputation, do have great advice for you, and can lead you. Yes, they will make money selling to you. This is our business and everyone else's business who is in similar business to us. However, without ripping you off, without making sure that you are losing money just by doing that investment. So they can make money and you can make money. Contact the professional, they can help you and still, Take choices slowly. Do not live the heat of the moment. I hope I answered all your 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 um, invested that time. I want to say invested. I have invested that time, hopefully positively, surely positively, and and added to your day. I hope it answers questions of the people who've asked and many other people. Uh, until the next session, uh, enjoy your day and uh, stay in touch. I would love to have your feedback and uh, always visit macrimhani.com for the newest of property talk and much more. Today we'll talk about creating and maintaining a great relationship between a landlord and a tenant. It's a landlord's job to do that, it's a tenant's job to do that, and it serves both of their interests to have a great relationship which is based on decent expectations and each party knowing their rights and their responsibilities. Let's start with a landlord. If you're a landlord, to be a great landlord is very important. Uh, being a landlord is similar to having a business. The tenant is your customer. There should be customer service involved. If your tenant is not happy, your business is not happy in the long run. When your tenant vacates the property, remember there's always a vacancy period. What you need is a great tenant that stays there for long. So, start by the price. When you're renting a property, try to rent it for a reasonable rate. Trying to rent a property for higher than the market price regularly keeps your property on the market for longer, which gives it, uh, which kills the access of money that you can make 
in the increased price you do most of the time. At the same time, you will have a tenant who feels or will feel one day that he's overpaying, which makes the tenancy non-sustainable. Build a relationship. Whenever you have a tenant in a property and you reflect the right kind of expectations to the tenant, you give him exactly all his rights and you stand exactly for all your liabilities and responsibilities, you will have a great relationship with the tenant, which means there's no disputes. Disputes cost money and are never a fair game and are never a profitable game for a landlord or a tenant or any two people in business. And here, you're in business with your tenant. Now, clear agreements, have a clear agreement, clear to the tenant before you lease the property to him and preferably in the contract or actually legally in the contract, exactly what is expected of him on entrance, within the tenancy period and on vacating. And let the tenant do the same with you. If those are clear on paper, then you have a great relationship and this is exactly what you need. Servicing. Make sure you service your property pre-entry of the tenant to the best of your knowledge and make sure that you do all through the tenancy proactive rather than reactive maintenance. Have a maintenance contract if you can, that's better. And when you maintain your property the right way, you'll make sure that the tenant will also take care of your property. And that means that you will have a property that will live longer in a much better state and major works in the property will not be needed. Now, if you're a tenant, the landlord have done his responsibilities and the landlord have treated you fairly and have done perfectly what's right. Let's look at you as a tenant. Now, if you're a tenant, you need to move in. When you move in, you're getting the handover of the property in a perfect condition. The landlord have taken care of all details needed. While you're moving out, remember, you should do the same. Make sure that your move out is a high quality move out where the property is taken back to its original condition to be handed over back to the landlord who can, by his himself, hand it over to another tenant. Account transfers. When you moved into the property, you've connected your diwa, your due, your utilities, all utilities connected, as well as done your ijari. When you're exiting, you will need to do the disconnections and you will need to cancel your ijari. Make sure that you do cancel your ijari. Otherwise, the new landlord or the tenant will have the headache of doing that. Remember, the fair relationship runs both ways. When you moved in, I'm sure the landlord have assisted you with all of those. And this is a great landlord servicing a great tenant. Move out permit. Remember, when you're moving in, you always need to make sure you get the NOCs from the landlord and you check with your building concierge or security what is needed to move into the property so that you won't be shocked in on the day of move. So don't go ahead and book your moving company without doing any checks on that and assume that you can move in on a Friday without any deposit. Regularly, some buildings or most buildings do have a deposit that they take to make sure that your movers and your workers do not damage the common areas, which are owned by the sum of all owners in the building and are the responsibility and the liability of all owners as well. So while you're moving out, get a move out permit. Cancel your ijari. Restore property to its original condition. Collect your deposit from the landlord. You're a happy tenant, he's a happy landlord. 
this is us today talking about how to create and sustain a great relationship between landlords and tenants. It's never advisable to have a dispute. No dispute is profitable. It's so much money and so much energy for something that isn't needed. Enjoy your day and work with each other as great landlords and amazing tenants. That's a question that many ask. I'm here to answer it. When you look at an investment, you need to look at the cash flow side, profitability side, liquidity side, and how much is it a hedge against inflation and future prospects side. Let's start by talking about stocks, equities. When you look at stocks today, you find that stocks are pretty liquid. You have in general an efficient market. However, you have a very high risk. The risk reaches getting into negative equity someday. When you try to uh, leverage your stock portfolio, that makes it even riskier. There is too many benefits similar to a pretty high income or a pretty high return. However, that isn't something everyone can say. Very few of the stock investors do qualify or can say that. Whenever you talk about bonds, bonds are debt that you're buying into. Uh, it can be sovereign bonds, it can be um, a company, corporate bonds, there's many kinds of bonds. And whenever you look at any of those, you always need to understand that there's also a risk element attached to it. However, risk is not as big as being an equity or a stockholder. Although it's not as, risk, as risky, uh, the kind of return is not as lucrative so it gives you less of a return it's in general liquid but sometimes not liquid enough when you go to cash let's stop it here cash isn't an investment cash is something that gives you a guaranteed loss of value with time if you have a million dollars in the bank and you run it for 10 years with an average inflation of three to five percent you're risking losing most of the buying power of your million dollars within that 10 years so be cautious and come to property not all property is one category similar to not all stocks are one category so similar to having blue chip stocks uh, great quality stocks uh, stocks that have uh, of companies that have a track record the great cash flow you have stocks which can be junk stocks. In property, you have different kinds of property, different segments of the market. In commercial, you have several. In retail, you have several. In industrial, you have several. In residential, you have several. However, as a key indicators you can look at, you need to look at cash flow. It is regularly something that does provide you, an investment that does provide you a positive cash flow. And whenever it comes to liquidity, it's not as liquid. Remember, Properties, except in few very rare markets, like the market we live in, Dubai, where properties are liquid. In other markets, properties are not as liquid. Actually, they're not liquid assets in general. They have great prospects for the future. However, they are not liquid. So be cautious whenever you look at funds you have 
and you can invest only for a short period of time because property in general is a medium to long-term investment and best benefited of on a long term. Below this video is a full write-up about all of the other investments and I know I didn't mention all the characteristics of other investments as well as property. There's a full write-up that gives you an overview of that. I hope that it helps you or I'm sure that it helps you to make the coming choices and investment decisions more prudently. Enjoy your day and log in to mekrimhandy.com to get more. consider to answer this question in a scientific manner one is what would you be able to do with the cash the less rest of the cash if you bought it and used the mortgage let's say you use the mortgage and you got an LTV of 75% loan to value of 75% thus you use 250,000 of your own money 750 is still sitting in the bank what would you be able to do with that that justifies you taking your mortgage and paying the interest on that. Now, it shouldn't be difficult if you're a trader or if you're an investor. It may be difficult if you're an employed uh, person, lady or gentleman, and you have a certain kind of income that you do, and that's the only income that you do, and you don't have plans, neither have ability nor have lucrativity to go with another investment with the rest of the cash. Remember, every home purchase is an investment, even if you're buying to live in. Remember when we talked about being the king of passive income and making sure that you pay off yourself a rent whenever you own a property and you're living in it. Now, second thing to consider is how old are you? And what's the LTV you can get? And what's the interest that you can approach or get when you're getting a mortgage? Because those are very important. Remember also, money sitting in the bank loses value. So if you're getting a mortgage while you still have cash on the side, you need to make sure that you don't have that cash sitting doing nothing. Because if it is, pay off your mortgage or not get a mortgage in the first place. Now, a mortgage is very beneficial because it can maximize the impact of your cash. Let's say you bought a property for a million, utilize 750 from the bank, 250 from yourself. The rest of the 750 that's with you, you can take another mortgage and purchase another property with, or you can do much more than that, similar to distributed on several investments, or you can buy one property in cash using the 750. And if that property or that investment, whatever it is, pays you better than what the mortgage or higher than what the mortgage costs you, then it's worth it. Remember, by the way, and be cautious, do not allow a high loan to value seduce you into getting it. Because a very high loan to value, most of the time, is not beneficial because it, allow, it puts you in a position which is not balanced. One, where sometimes with any move of the market can put you um, in the wrong side of the equity gain on your, on your investment. Now, this matters if you are in Singapore or London or Dubai or New York, but that's a rule of thumb. Remember also, buy what you can afford. Do not buy what you can afford, can't afford just because you have a mortgage. 
three, buy what you need. A bigger house is always better. However, not from an investment point of view, if you don't need a bigger house. If you need a two bedroom, do not buy a four bedroom house, thinking that maybe in the coming 15, 20 years, I will need it or I can afford it. Under this video will be a whole write-up that will give you much more details. Enjoy your day, and if you need more advice, makramhani.com will give you more. A question that we're always asked, why do we pay service charges? And what are the components of service charges? Um, service charges are important and major when it comes to servicing a building, operating it on the short term, medium term, and long term. And the components of a service charge are as follows. By the way, the service charges should be collected by the community management company that is assigned by the homeowners association regularly to um, service the buildings and to make sure that the buildings are serviced properly. The community management company uh, regularly assign other facility management suppliers to uh, to service, to maintain, to operate the security, the reception, the the uh, maintenance, the uh, um, garbage uh, um, uh, processing, and other sides of the of the uh, building's operation. So the com community uh, uh, charges or the service charges are three components, three main components. One of them is uh, which relates to your building itself, the operations of the building you live in, and the operations of the common area in specific. Thus, the corridors from lighting to servicing and maintenance to uh, cleaning to um, the reception, the concierge, if you have concierge, the security, uh, garbage processing, and every service that relates to this side of the building's operation. The community um, the, the common areas are owned by um, all of the owners, so every owner owns a share relative to his share of ownership of the building of the common areas, thus has the liability uh, and the responsibility to service those. And um, uh, this is major to, for the upkeep of the building on the short term, medium term and long term. The second portion is, if your building was in a community, and most of the freehold buildings, for example, in Dubai, the city we live in, are in communities, there is services that are provided by the community itself. For example, there is the uh, landscaping of the community, the lighting of the community, and other services that are related to the community. Those services are a second component, or provided or paid for by a second component, which is called the master community charge. So each building has a relevant component of the master community and the usage of the master community thus has the responsibility to pay for the servicing of that proportion or that portion of it. And the third part, which is also major, is the, what is called the sinking fund and the, uh, and the, the uh, insurance side. So the insurance side, which can be part of the operations in a way or another, by, by the way, is ensuring the building, making sure that if there's, God forbid, a fire, a flood, or anything like that, the uh, component of the structure is covered. Uh, it doesn't involve the comp components which are contents in your house, but it involves, in general, the structure of the building. And the last part is the singing fund, which mainly deals with major 
uh, services similar to the elevator system needs to be upgraded or changed every few years. The outside of the building needs to be painted every few years. Now, when that takes place, there is regularly a lump sum of cash that needs to be injected. Rather than the building or the homeowners association at that time obliging owners to pay a big lump sum as an added cost of that year, they take a portion of each year's service charge and they add them together to cover those, those costs. Now, many people ask why is it much cheaper in villas rather than in buildings. In villas, what is maintained for you is the community. So what you're paying is the massive community charge. You still need to do your own structure insurance. You still need to do your own structure maintenance, similar to painting from the outside. And, and you need to take a provision for that personally because the community doesn't. The community charges you only for upkeeping of the community because you own the full structure. And regularly, there's no common areas like corridors and um, parking spots that need to be maintained by the mass community. Your parking spots are maintained by you and the, uh, the outside of the villa is maintained by you. I hope this answers your question and allows you to think of service charges in a different way. They're not only a cost element, they're a service element, a utility element, and most importantly, a future upkeep and value element that needs to be considered in every building. Don't be happy if the retention funds or if the uh, sinking fund is not funded properly because it may be cheaper for you today but it will cost you more with time and this will be better for past buyers people who buy a unit and sell it in a few years but it will be worse for people who hold the unit for a long term thus a proper balance of that and proper accounting for that is very important all service charges in a city like Dubai, for example, can be seen and provided and approved for by RERA, and you can see it on the RERA website. So just enter the Dubai Land Department website, you can see the part which relates to service charges, and you can see what is approved for your building. Two more details that you need to know. The developer regularly may own a uh, service company, which is not ideal because there may be a conflict of interest there as a master community or management community management company, which is not ideal, but this is a practice uh, in, in many locations. Regardless of that, RERA does approve the audited uh, use of that of those funds and does approve the provision of uh, this uh, fund as an estimated fund as budgeting for future years. The developer regularly collects or the, the master community uh, or management, community management company regularly collects the service charge every quarter at a time. Whenever they try to collect more than a quarter, you need to check with land department if that is allowed for them for a specific uh, exception, if we could say. I hope this helped you. Enjoy your day and invest wisely. Today we will be answering questions that tenants do ask so frequent, as well as landlords, people who own properties and want to rent them out. And what Anastasia and I have done 
this morning is we collected some of those questions from what Anastasia lives with landlords and tenants on an every on a daily basis as well as many other members of our team yes they were approaching us and coming with a lot of uh, with a lot of uh, questions that were like quite similar and mostly has to do uh, with the agreements between the landlord and the tenant sometimes it's misperceptions it's, exactly. it's pure misperceptions yeah exactly so usually what we are starting with um, after obviously we found the right property for the tenant um, the question that comes first is the is the inventory list and how important is that sure to make sure the condition of the apartment is well like the maintenance of the apartment and also after that it comes with a question of um, is the landlord responsible for the major the minor issues so let's discuss about that the, the, a very important if it's uh, furnished unfurnished or semi-furnished does it have white goods does it have full furniture the inventory or stock count it's uh, is much more complex if it is fully furnished you need to count every single uh, piece of property uh, you're getting from a fork and a knife to a couch exactly. make sure that all of them are proper and operating properly as well as counting all the glasses uh, there are minor things but they can be points of dispute which we try to remove whenever a tenant and a landlord are involved the relationship between a tenant and a landlord is key yeah exactly. and and the the points that you've raised anesthesia are major um, what about the maintenance um, who does it um, usually like what's been the industry practice the minor maintenance issues should be the consumables, responsibility exactly the consumables. consumables or sometimes people they like to mention the the ones that are below 500 dirhams cost um, as far as the major maintenance issues or the one that are above 500 dirhams should be the responsibility of the landlord or the belongings of the apartment uh, such as white goods if they were in the apartment before this all has to be the responsibility of the landlord unless they're outside the warranty period which is very important to mention so if a if the white goods are out of the warranty period regularly it's the responsibility of the tenant because it's usable by the tenant sometimes it does cost more than 500 dirhams still the responsibility of the tenant and it's very important that that is mentioned and that is clear in the contract for both parties exactly. and we always tell the landlord it's your apartment it's your house you want to make sure that you have anyone considering it a home today take care of it and the upkeep of it for future uh, value add and to make sure that uh, you don't have to do major maintenance jobs with time similar to a point that you are asked so often um, the AC filter cleaning the AC filter cleaning saves your family family's health as a tenant your as money you children yeah your money as, as that's the, the air you breathe in most buildings there you don't open the window so often yeah exactly the money the AC bill the AC bill also the discussion whether who, who should pay the AC bill the landlord or the tenant now that's clear in most cases except in few buildings where it comes with the service charges like exactly. you have buildings Anastasia works in Marina most of the time and, and uh, that's her area and um, in, in some buildings the AC is still part, yeah charge. not metered separately and that's a confusion that happens it's better to happen pre-agreement so that it can be agreed on rather than post-agreement which can become a dispute exactly what other questions Anastasia are we asked and are you asked on a daily basis speaking about the inventory list and the furnished and unfurnished apartments usually uh, tenants they ask also about the security deposit how much the security deposit should be so 
we should answer that question that um, industry practice is 5% for unfurnished apartments and 10% on fully furnished apartments unless if the landlord thinks that his furniture is high value or for example the tenant has the pet so the landlord wants to protect himself by taking a little bit bigger amount in order to recover if there is any potential damage after the sure. end of tenancy agreement. Although that may be insurance similar to the penthouse you were renting and there's paintings in that penthouse that are worth 300,000 dirhams. Exactly. So the the tenant, and the tenant, I believe, accepted, yeah, didn't even, didn't even reject a bigger security deposit because the tenant understood what is he, he getting aware. himself into. Exactly. Yeah, he's renting a piece of art, one of a kind penthouse in a very prominent area of Dubai, which is a marina with a great view. And that's a lifestyle rental. Uh, which which people do appreciate. Okay. You you pointed out uh, other stuff about uh, what if the the uh, the landlord and the tenant um, have an issue on the who registers the uh, ijari I believe yeah exactly it, it's it's common practice that tenant does register it although it's the uh, rule and the law that the landlord does register it but who pays exactly. for it exactly exactly. So by practice, the, um, the tenant should pay for it, although... Uh, Not by, uh, by, by practice and by rule, the tenant should pay for it. Exactly. But, but by the landlord should do it, now, who does it by practice? The tenant. The tenant. Yeah, exactly. the tenant ends up doing it most of the time. And which is not ideal uh, in, 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 some ta in some cases for the tenants. However, they can't connect Diwa. Exactly, they can't connect the Diva without it, but usually where it comes to the, to the confusion is where you've given once the contract to the, um, to the tenant and then they go and then they check and the contract is written that a jari should be the responsibility of the landlord. And, and then the unified the contract. Comes. Exactly. And then the question comes, why do I need to go and register it when, when it's mentioned that it's the, the landlord's responsibility? No, if you don't have the ajari, you will not be able to register your diwa, and you save yourself the hustle. What if the landlord is outside of the country and he is not allowed to? And you know? it's pretty easy to register exactly. ajari. Exactly. It can be done in many of the centers around, and it's logical again to create a good relationship between two parties that the tenant does register ajari. It's very, it's very important thing. The the other point that you were talking about, and and we talked about a few days ago also, is um, what if the uh, tenant is asking to. Uh, move in and give the checks for the move-in date, dated the move-in date. Yes. Um, and, and that's also major because if the tenant does insist on that, the landlord is under risk. What are the risks, Anastasia? The, the risk is that, for example, if uh, the tenant gives the check or doesn't want to give the check before the contract expires, usually the, the, the check won't be, won't be cleared or maybe there is not enough money. So just for the security for the landlord... Um, Specifically the in the first year specifically on entry, exactly. yeah? if it bounces and he doesn't give it, that's why we ask three days before move-in, exactly. that the, the check is dated three days before move-in. If it bounces, the uh, landlord is in trouble. Also, it's the first impression. <laughs> and, and landlords who do ask, or tenants who do ask for the landlord to sign before they give checks. Yes. Yeah? The landlord is committing the property. The tenant should commit the checks, and then the agreement can happen. In an ideal situation, people will be sitting in front of each other on the same table and doing it. In a circumstance where the landlord doesn't live here, it can't happen. What are the points that we always raise for tenants, similar to protecting themselves? Who should they pay the, tenant, the rental to? How should they make sure that they're paying it to the landlord? Exactly, to the landlord. They need to have the title deed and they need to have all the documents that are proving that the landlord is the, the individual who owns the apartment. It's the due diligence. It's it, because if the 
if the uh, certificate, the, the, the uh, ownership certificate, the title deed is there, you can verify it through the Dubai Land Department app. And if you do that verification, you'll understand who is the landlord. And when you know who's the landlord, do not pay the rent except by check or transfer to the landlord or the landlord's account. Do not pay to his agent. Do not pay it to brother, his friend, brother, or anyone else. Now, there are circumstances that the brother or the friend has a full power of attorney that allows them to do that, which yes. is uh, recent. Then it may be acceptable, although I always do prefer that it's paid to the landlord only. And if it's mentioned even to the POA, mention it in the contract with the number of the POA that you're referring to. Yeah, it's major. We should also discuss what, about one more thing that I faced just recently with, when it comes to Ajari. So namely there was a, the property with the, two, with the two landlords. It was a father and the son. And then when the tenant went to uh, actually register the contract, by the new policy, they said that there should be the signatures from... Sure, from both, definitely. It's two owners, yes? Yeah? Yes. Can you sell a car that's owned by two people by one signing? Not really. Yes. You can't rent a property, sell it, or do anything else with it, which is logical. So that's a very important point. Both parties should sign a contract. Yeah. Um, another another important point also, uh, Anastasia, that uh, that uh, you've uh, talked about is the uh, ability of the uh, tenant to vacate the property prior to the um, end of the contract, so early termination, and negotiating the. Uh, penalty, penalty period or penalty. penalty period. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a major point because if they, if that is not clear in the contract initially, it can become a point of dispute, and the whole process and process is to eliminate points of dispute. Yes, but usually when they try to negotiate is when they are not sure about their job. Prior to the prior to prior the, to the contract exactly. signature, prior not within the, the contract. Exactly. Prior to the contract signature, they usually ask the question like, "What if I lose the job and if I have to leave the country um, by the, the the circumstances or something like that?" Then in that case, will the landlord be reasonable enough not to charge me the two months penalty? Again, maybe at his consent. Okay. Um, if you have, as a landlord or as a tenant, any term that you would like to put beforehand, please do. But okay. please put it at the beginning of the contract, rather than you being stuck in a non-comfortable situation, situation within the contract. Is there any other questions between the questions that the team have, have uh, subjected Anastasia, which you would like to answer? Um, I think that one of the members approached me with a question, what if the tenant asks uh, for the, the handover of the key before the contract starts. And then we were mentioning there are some grace periods and... Sure, uh, that, that's key. So currently people get the uh, uh, key on the day of moving. Move Sometimes the landlord may be reasonable to give it a few days before. Um, or we can't say maybe reasonable because it's reasonable enough that he gives it from the day of, of, uh, of uh, rental start. This is the day that rent is starting. To protect the landlord, you can create the check uh, uh, to clear before they hand over the key and then the landlord may be uh, cooperative and give you the key before that. Now, Anastasia, something that is very important, with the more maturity comes into the market and vacancy periods are going longer, it's now uh, more than ever do we see uh, periods of free rental at the end of a contract. I believe we will start seeing also periods of free rental at the beginning of the contract, One which month. is the grace period. Maybe not a month, maybe 10 days for people to prepare the property. Maybe some add-ons also, they move in for free or whatever. Uh, that's key. 
That's important. Exactly. And that may start happening. The practices are changing. We used to see too many one-checkers. Now there's no or very few people who do pay rent in one check. It's important that we understand and realize that the market is changing that, in that direction. And whoever regulates the market isn't brokers, uh, isn't even the regulator. The, the regulator sets the regulation forward. However, whatever sets the market momentum and, and pace and the practices is the market itself, is what's happening with the market. So we were talking about uh, a few days ago about the uh, commission payment from a landlord's side. So maybe it's not a practice today. It may be a practice tomorrow where the landlord needs to pay a commission. Um, that should also be cleared because currently we collect commissions from tenants. tenants only, yes. When the landlord does pay, I wouldn't say tenants only, I say tenants most probably because there's still landlord commission payments paid sometimes, specifically on, on slow moving properties. Yes. However, uh, there is a conflict of interest there whenever you get paid by both parties. So that should be clear and that I believe will be cleared by market forces soon and I'm sure the regulator will set it through forward for everyone to make sure that uh, the conduct of brokers and parties that are players in this market uh, is decent enough and transparent enough. Exactly, especially when we as brokers are representing the, the landlord's property, I think that should be valued as well. The landlords, when you are representing the landlord's uh, um, rights and they're representing the landlord, you shouldn't, be able, you shouldn't be able, however, to charge the tenant. What should happen, similar to many markets all over the world, you're either a landlord representative or a or tenant's tenant representative. representative. Similar to a sale, Anastasia. Now, in a sale, you're not supposed, although as we talked before about it, practice is that people do charge both sides. Exactly. The law is very specific about that. When you want to charge both sides, there's a specific set of documentation that should be signed to allow that. In rental, this should be the case. Now, people should value the work of agents, definitely. I believe as agents, we have a practice to follow, to be able to set that value forward. And I believe that differs between an agent and another and a brokerage and another because they're able to create that relationship with the landlord, relationship of trust, respect, and a mutual value exchange. Yeah, You give a service, you get paid for it. Exactly. You don't give a service or you do give a low quality service, expect to get paid low for it or not to get, get paid, paid. For, it, for it at all. Um, is there any other points we, you, you would like us to discuss today? I believe we'll have more of those sessions. Whenever we pass a few weeks and we collect some questions from customers, uh, we see that things can uh, um, serve or be interesting for many uh, parties. I believe we will be uh, sitting here and discussing them. Anastasia, as well as every member of Arms and McGregor team, are very interested to uh, communicate with all clientele, set forward uh, best practices, and create that uh, educational side. It's not only about the money making. We will make money, we do make money, and we will make so much money in the future. However, there is that uh, communal side also of our business, similar to every other business that is available. Is there anything you would like to add or we would like to discuss today, Anastasia? Well, I hope that you were happy with the questions that we that we have answered in, in this video. Uh, thank you so much for, for tuning in and then I hope that we uh, we improved and we made an impact on uh, on some of the uh, challenges that you've been And send us more with. of your feedback and questions, huh? Exactly. Never send us more. Ask us the questions. If, you, if there is any challenge that you're facing, anything that you would like to know about, we will be more than happy you're to. You're not sure of. Misperception that you may have, 
that you want more details on, yeah? We will answer you transparently regardless of the business we run or the business we're part of. Exactly. Thank you so much once again and enjoy your day and make it a great day. Exactly, make it a great day.